This is the Brisbane Lions Big Footy Podcast with Keegs and Ollie, and today we're joined by Michael Whiting, who's the afl.com.au reporter for Queensland, and he will talk to us all about Josh Shackey's contract situation, Tom Rockliffe, Chris Fagan, and his first impressions on him as a coach, Taylor Harris, uh, the Springfield Training Admin Facility, and all other Brisbane Lions-related news. Let's get into it. All right, welcome, Ollie, to episode eight. We're up to now of the Big Footy Lions podcast. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, really good, Keggs. Thanks for having me on again. And, yeah, we had the special guest, Daniel Merritt, join us last week, and we got another one this week as well. So looking forward to it. Yep, big shoes to fill. Michael Whiting on the phone with us, AFL.com reporter for the Brisbane Lions and the Gold Coast Suns. How are you going, mate? Hey, Keggs. Hey, Ollie. I'm not uh, – they are big shoes to fill. Dan Merritt, he's a <laughs> – Funny man and very knowledgeable. I had to listen to him last week, so I'll see how I go. <laughs> he was he was quality. He loved his stories. But um, as we spoke about before, we're just going to, I suppose, touch in with you, talk about the sto- the headlines that are following the Lions at the moment, and we'll continue to follow the Lions throughout the year. So um, the big talking point, I guess, is Josh Shackey, who's out of contract at the end of this year. Um, it's a familiar tale for Lions with their top draft picks and, I guess, the ongoing contract saga. How do you see things on that front with him? Yeah, it is. Um, every Lions fan, seem, seemingly almost every year, isn't it, that there's a top top 10 pick that's uh, got a question mark over his contract status. But mm. I'm, I'm not overly sure about Josh at the moment. I don't think he is, from what I can understand. He's been pretty quiet publicly, but... Yeah. Um, the club, uh, I don't, I don't think the club's going to, um, sell the farm to try and keep Josh. And I think Josh has got to figure out, you know, whether he really wants to stay and whether he sees a future here. And I think that's, I mean, that's what every 18 and 9 year old kid has to figure out in their first two years at the club. But I don't think there's a, there doesn't seem a real, um, not that there's not an urgency, but the club certainly isn't panicking at this stage. We're only sort of six or eight rounds in, and ideally you'd like to, to have something sorted out for peace of mind. But I don't think they're going to be hasty in um, throwing a heap of cash or throwing a, a huge contract at, at Josh at the moment. And by the same token, yeah, Josh has got to figure things out himself. So yeah, sure. I, I think there's yeah, I think there's still a little way away from, um, you know, I don't think they're far down the negotiation path, put it that way. Yeah. Does it become hard these days with the managers intervening? I think Lions fans probably see Josh staying just because of his family ties to the club. His father played there. He grew up supporting the Lions. But yeah, obviously the managers going out of their way to try and get the best deal for their for their players. Yeah, of course, of course they do. And I mean, I, I think um, it's probably been well documented that um, the, the contract that Tom Boyd got a couple of years ago from the Bulldogs probably threw mm. um, the equation out a bit for, for young key forwards. And I mean, uh, I mean, everyone knows that the you're, you're going to get offered more money to go elsewhere. So that's I think that's going to be a reality. Josh is probably likely to get uh, offers that exceed what Brisbane can offer him. That's just the nature of the business. If you're a club trying to lure someone away, you've You've got to offer them more money and or a longer 
contract. So mm. he'll likely have to come to a, a decision of whether he wants to, to chase uh, more money and, and possibly a longer contract or whether he believes he sees a future in Brisbane. And I think that's, I mean, we're only six months into the Chris Fagan, David Noble era. And, um, and I think he's, probably weighing up like everyone else whether he, he thinks there's a, an exciting future ahead which I'm sure the club's doing everything they can to prove that so mm. yeah I can understand both sides really and, and why it's not going to necessarily be a quick process. Um, you obviously watch, watch the Lions regularly do you think the speculation and the negotiation process is something that's weighed down on Josh and maybe is affecting his performance because we have seen it in the past with other mm. players yeah, it could do. It's really, it's really hard to tell. I mean, there's so much um, expectation because he's a, a number two pick, and mm-hmm. I don't think anyone thought he was a saviour. But you know, as we know, key position players, and it's a cliche. They they take time, and it's generally because that's the truth. I mean, they're they're not as strong as the guys they're playing against. They're not as quick. They've got a lot to learn. I think even when you watch Josh play, he's um, used to dominating under 18s and yeah. now he's coming in yeah, to, to senior football and he probably leads up and down the ground a bit. He sort of tends to play in straight lines from what I've seen and he's probably got a fair bit to learn about his craft yeah. but that's that's all part of his maturing. So whether, I mean, I think you, you don't, you're only human to um, for that contract speculation or yeah. Sp- you know, those offers to, to weigh down a little bit, but I don't think that's necessarily the, the be-all and end-all of his, of his form issues at the moment. I think what has... He has been ha- receiving... Sorry. Sorry. No, you go ahead. Yeah, he has been receiving a bit of criticism on social media. Do you think... You go back to his first year and his stats as a first-year forward throughout history, really, go back to all the, the big key fours in their first year, his stats rack up pretty well. But do you think the criticism around him this year has been a bit unfair? Oh, I do. Yeah, I think it's harsh because the other thing, I mean, his stats were very good last year and he, he got a lot of opportunities. I think he played 16 of the first 17. You guys, I should know that off the top of my head, but I think he played 16 of the first 17 before they rested him. He <clears> kicked <throat> a goal a game and he was mm. uh, coming up and taking marks up the ground. But the other thing, uh, oppositions get to have a look at him now. I mean, yeah. no one would have put any time into Josh Shackey last year, an opposition. They would have known he was a number two pick and done a little bit of underage scouting, but they wouldn't have known a lot about him. Whereas now, all of those fullbacks have had one game uh, to learn. Yeah, that's uh, right. What, you know, Josh's leading patterns and what he likes to do and where <laughs> he gets the ball. And um, So you've got to factor that in as well. So it's I don't think it's that unusual for a... Uh, a key forward to, to battle in, in his second season. And, yeah. you know, the ball's not going in that often. It's 45 yeah. or 46 inside 50. So, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, he's, a form's got to be held to account. But I think, you know, criticism's probably a, a bit of a stretch. I think some of that angst from the fans stems from, and it's not Josh's fault, it's just sheer comparison. Like, Eric Hipwood's mm. a freak, but he was taken in the yeah, same yeah. draft as him. So, so fans sort of say, well, Eric's doing this, this, yeah. and this. Why isn't Josh at least doing this? And I, I, Yeah, I, that, that's understandable, isn't it? I mean, like you say, they're, they're right next to each other. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to not compare. And Eric's definitely made a bigger impression. Like he's, um, And I think the thing that I like, and I'm sure that you guys and the rest of the fans out there like, is Eric's attack on the contest. I think it mm. was, um, might have been in the last quarter the other day, he, he 
the ball was look seemingly landing in the middle of three Hawthorne players and um, Eric yeah. made a, a contest and got to the contest and took a mark in the last quarter. Like just he really wanted the ball. So I think that's the thing that excites you. And Josh probably hasn't quite shown that um, same aggression. Mm. And I think from young guys, we all love seeing aggression, don't we? I think fans love seeing it and um, journalists and, and the public love seeing that aggression. And Josh probably hasn't quite got the same level of um, of that aggression that, that Eric's got. Um, all right, we'll move on to the next topic that we'd pinned down was Tommy Rockliffe. So you would have no doubt wrote and heard about the speculation last year, you know, trying to, mm. or was he put on the trade table or was he searching for other options? And now I guess he's sort of um, risen from the dead and he was voted back into the leadership group as a vice captain and now captaining, captaining again until the injury. Um, how have you seen his turnaround and how things have changed on that front? Oh, he's really put his head down. Like, I, I mean, I was as interested as anybody when Chris Fagan came in to see how that dynamic would work. And I think it's pretty well documented now that uh, Chris had um, quite a few conversations with Tom, mm. um, gave him a clean slate to start with. And, I think, to Tom's credit, he's really taken that opportunity. I think you'll notice this year he's got his head down and his bum up like we've mm. hardly heard a word from Tom in the media. And, you know, last year, every week, Tommy was popping up saying something and putting his foot in it or getting himself in trouble, mm. um, not so much off the field, but he, there was one or two indiscretions there that, um, you know, that probably cost him and, um, this year, I think he's a, a little bit more settled. I haven't, I, I've barely spoken to Tom myself, but, um, you know, he seems a bit more settled. I know his partner's due to have uh, his first baby in towards the end of the season, I think, in four or five months. So whether that's helped settle him, settle him off the field, I'm not quite sure. But um, his form on the field's been fantastic and um, he's just putting his head down and, um, you know, being a leader to guys around the club and... Yep. and doing what he can on the field. So, like, I'm really impressed so far just uh, with his discipline on and off the field so far. It looked like he was almost gone at the end of last season and obviously with the pending free agency at the end of this year, where do you see his future? Yeah, it's tricky. I think it's – I'm probably sitting on the fence here a bit, guys, which is not what everyone wants to hear, (laughs) I realise. But but, um, I was having a think about this – um, before I had a chat to you guys and I was thinking with David Noble coming into the club, he's been through this before with Patrick Dangerfield at Adelaide. Of course, Dave Noble was the footy manager at Adelaide. Yeah, good point. And now at the Lions, yeah. So he's been through that with, with, with Paddy Dangerfield and I think, I mean, Tommy understandably last year um, saw some quite lengthy contracts being thrown around at the Lions. I think mm. Daniel Rich and Steph yeah. Martin and, and these guys got lengthy contracts and Tommy probably thought uh, he'd put his, you know, understandably would put his put his hand out and um, and see if he could get something similar. So uh, not quite sure where the club's uh, at as far as that goes at the moment, but I, I think the club will be keen to keep him yeah. at the moment. Yeah, and I and yeah, I think at the moment, yeah, and I think at the moment Tom would be keen to stay. Um, a lot can happen though, and it might depend. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on what offers he gets from elsewhere. I mean, he's been around for this his ninth ninth season, I think. So yeah. he'd he'd understandably want to see a pathway to success in the next few years because his 
you know, he's, he's not towards the end of his career, but he's in the back half. So um, if you're Tommy Rockliffe, you certainly want to see a pathway to success in the next three or four years. And if the club can show him that, I reckon he'd be pretty keen to stay. Yeah, for sure. It was quite ironic that it was his shoulder that gave way because he's certainly been shouldering the load for the Lions this year. <laughs> um, his, his form's been terrific, hasn't it? Like, yeah. I, don't think, I mean, week in and week out, he might have had one down game possibly, but... Um, yeah, his clearance work and his contested footy and, I mean, he's often criticised for not being able to take games over, but um, I think a lot of that gets blown out of proportion to him and he wins so much hard ball. Mm. Um, you know, I think he, he he wins it in tight and you really want guys on the outside to be able to take advantage. He's a smart footballer, Tommy, and I think he's, Brisbane's much better when he's when he's in their team, no doubt. Yeah, I think we definitely need to do everything we can to cling on to him to be going further backwards next year if we lost him. Yeah, I agree, oh, his totally. clearance work's been unbelievable. Like sixteen again on the weekend, he's just been amazing. Yeah, around the ball. And I think it is amazing when you think. Sorry, guys, just when you think every club does so much work around stoppages. Every mm-hmm. coach every week emphasises how important stoppages are, and for Tommy Rockliffe to be um, streeting the rest of the AFL and the number of clearances he gets is pretty amazing. Yeah, because he has streets in front as well. I think Rory Sloan was mm. second and he's had a few yeah. few quiet weeks, so he's probably only getting further in front as well. Um, I suppose um, before we move on, on the Rocky stuff, have you, do you know any updates on the injury side of things or is that still a bit unclear? No, nah, nah, it's still a bit unclear. They, they should have an update by Tuesday lunch, Tuesday afternoon as far as I know. So I'm yeah. <clears throat> Um, I think they wanted to see how well it settled because dislocated shoulders, um, as he had on on Saturday, can uh, sometimes they can settle a bit. Yeah. Sometimes they can settle quite quickly, so it doesn't look overly promising for this weekend's match. But um, certainly, I mean, you never know. But it doesn't look yeah, promising though. No. Certainly concerning coming up against the Adelaide team that you'd think would want to bounce yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Lions have copped the pretty. Um, unf- <laughs> Was an unfortunate run of matches the past few weeks playing yeah. playing Sydney, who'd been uh, hammered in the media the week before, and and then Hawthorne obviously had been struggling, and now Adelaide as well. So mm-hmm. um, it's all it's all experience, and I know I, I know that's a cliche, but really it's um it's great for Chris Fagan to see what his what his team can do this year, because as far as I'm concerned, there's no there's no huge expectation on what Chris Fagan. Can produce this year, so yep. to see how his team performs under um, under duress and under against top quality oppositions, um, invaluable for him. Speaking of the great man, how have you seen things since he has come to the club? I suppose not only on the field but off the field as well. Yeah, I've um, I've been really impressed. The first few months, I was probably like anyone, um, sort of in and around and dealing with the club. I was interested to see how he'd operate and I found him um, uh, I wouldn't say standoffish but <laughs> he probably had no reason to to be overly overly chummy with the journalists around town <laughs> but um, yeah. I found as he's, as the season got underway he sort of settled into his role um, with us with the, with the media um, he's very engaging, he's a very thoughtful fellow and I've spoken to you know a lot of players in the last six months and the, there's just a consistent theme that he, he cares about players on the field and off the field. Yeah. He's very inclusive. Um, you know, that teaching background, which people always refer to, seems to be a, a common theme. Um, 
that comes out when you speak to players that they they enjoy the way he gives feedback. Um, it can be even when he even when he's got a criticism, it's um, you know delivered in a in a manner that um, players seem to respond to. So I think his delivery and his message is certainly um, having an impact with the players, and it's just going to take a, a bit of time, I think, when you're you know a new coach and you've got. 45 people to, to try and win over on, on a playing list and teach a new way of playing. Uh, it's just going to take time. But I'm I'm super, super impressed. And I think I, I, I genuinely believe Brisbane's in good hands. Yeah, and a bit of the blame towards our struggles over the last few years has been towards the, the training facility and the lack of training mm. facilities and it's just been an ongoing issue now for a number of years where's everything at with springfield and yeah the new training base yeah it's it sounds like uh it sounds like springfield's getting pretty close actually um i spoke to a couple of people at the club last week um they've done a good job this time the club in keeping it sort of under wraps and and well, I think they jumped not, a gun, um, the gun a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have. So they've done a really good job in keeping it quiet. I know the board's done a lot of work um, behind the scenes and, and understandably tried to keep it quiet because, like you said, it's um, they've probably been made to look silly a few times in the last three or four years. But mm. it does sound like Springfield's pretty close, actually. Um, and I know people have their, have their thoughts on that, but... Um, I mean, obviously, I think it'd be, from a Lions perspective, it'd, it'd be great to have everything in the one area of, as you mentioned off the top, I deal with Gold Coast Suns and they've been training at a tin sheds for six years and yeah. it's a bit different for them because their facility's on site and that's at Metricon, so it's yeah. obviously a lot more convenient, but just having everything in the one area, so if the Lions get the, the green light for Springfield, they'll have their training fields they'll have their gym they'll have their pools they'll have their admin everything will be in, on the one site so it'd mm. just be so much better for players and staff rather than having to drive to cooperu for training drive to the gabba for weights and yeah. drive elsewhere to see doctors and it's just um it, it'd be so much better and, and i know it's a little bit away from the gabba but um but i you know if it goes ahead it'd, it'd be a huge win so you did talk about <clears throat> some concerns that fans might have. And I suppose one mm. is a conflict of interest because Bob Sharpless obviously has ties to, to the Springfield area. And secondly, I guess, you know, players that move to Brisbane um, sort of allocate themselves in and around the city and having to go out to Springfield might be a concern for them or a bit of a frustration. Yeah. Do you think they're legitimate problems or... Is it? Not- yeah, I understand. I, well, no, I understand. Certainly, the the um, Bob Sharpless's uh, ties, but from what I can gather, I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm not a hundred percent certain on this, but I'm not sh- sure how much longer Bob will be um, mm. on the board for at the Lions. So I think, I mean, if there's a if there's a change there, that might alleviate uh, an issue in that regards. But um, yeah. there's probably a bit to play out there. As far as the travel goes, um, I can understand why people might have their concerns, but um, but really it's probably half an hour. I understand there's probably traffic, but um, mm. maybe half an hour. And 
I just I mean, maybe I'm being a bit flippant here, but I, I just think if if people are whinging about half an hour drive to work, I mean, I think if you did a survey, yeah, all true. those fans that think you know it might be an issue, the amount of people that travel thirty and forty five and sixty minutes to work every day would probably scoff at the notion of having to to travel that far. Um, you know, and I, and I think what will happen over time is that uh, new draftees to the club that they just won't know any better. They'll be drafted, and that's where the lines. Um, yeah, that's true. That's where their home base is, and I think what might happen is instead of all the players uh, living in the suburbs closer to the Gabba, like a lot of them live in, you know, Camp Hill, Morningside, Hawthorne, Balimba, whatever that, that might just eventually migrate over to over to suburbs a bit closer to Springfield over time. But oh, I don't, personally don't think it's a, a huge issue. I mean, it's yeah, it's just a, the it's fans. Trip, it's trip. Yeah, yeah. It's just the fans' concerns in comparison with St Kilda, and they went out to Seaford. And yeah. Now they've gone back to Moorabbin again, and we've heard of a few players not too happy about the the trip out there. But yeah, it seems yeah, like it would be the way to yeah. go with all the facilities in the one spot. And if players are already travelling to Cooper and other places as it is now, then it makes sense to have it all in the the one spot, surely. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I think, like, I understand. I'm not trying to be dismissive of it, and I'm certainly not just pro club by any stretch of the imagination. But um, I just think of, um, I mean, I, I mean, even in my own instance, I'm travelling down the Gold Coast a number of times a week to go to work, and I don't really think it's a hassle. And yeah. I'm sure half the public out there think the same. But um, if you want these facilities and and players, not not too many players have have publicly whinged about them, but obviously the facilities at the Gabba are a little bit outdated. And if you want new facilities and you have to drive 20 or 30 minutes for them, I think I think that little journey will far out what, you know, the, the what's at the other end, brand new facilities will far outweigh the, the extra bit of driving um, that players have got to do. I think that's part of the point as well. Like Brisbane's facilities are just so outdated that anything's better than nothing at this point. So, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I certainly think I think that's true, and I think Mitch Robinson um, maybe maybe a year or two ago referred to the facilities at the Gabba as the dungeon, and he, he might have got a bit of backlash from the club about that. But um, but it was it's probably on the on the money, and I know um, people will say, and there's some truth to the fact that weights weights are weights; they all yeah. weigh the same wherever they are. But um, it's pretty nice to have everything um, in the one area and. And brand new facilities, and yeah. you know it's obviously a nice selling point to players if you're trying to recruit guys. I think um, at one point someone said that facility. they um they can't actually fit everyone in the gym at the one time either. You sort of have to have sessions. It's yes. Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. So well, yeah, that's, that's that's another factor as well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, I think the Brisbane's list is so young now as well. I I would imagine that um. I mean, I haven't, I haven't asked a lot of the senior players, I haven't asked any of the senior players actually, but um, you can understand if senior players were used to driving five minutes to the Gabba and mm. then all of a sudden had to make the, the journey out to Springfield, it, it might be a bit, um, a bit of an annoyance, a bit of fear, mm. a young player and you're, and you're fresh to the club yeah. and you don't know any better, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. Um. Well, before we wrap up today, just thought we'd get your thoughts on how we're travelling generally and what you think the rest of the season holds for us. Obviously, we've only got one win on the board at this point, but um, what are your thoughts on how we're playing and what we can look forward to in the back half of the year? Yeah, I always thought, even at the start of this year, um, that it was going to be a year of 
few victories. Mm. Um, I thought Brisbane would sort of remain in the bottom three or four teams, and it looks like it's going to uh, remain that way. I had a look, a good look at the statistics today, actually, and it's um, amazingly to me, because by the eye test, I think Brisbane's been a lot better, but a lot of the statistics are very similar to last year, which which really surprised me, actually. Um, I think they're conceding maybe 11 or 12 points less, which mm. is a small step forward. Um, but I, I think the footy, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I feel like the footy's been a lot um, I feel like the footy's been a lot better from Brisbane. They're still making mistakes. They've got almost an identical list to last year. Yeah. Aside from aside from the um, humour cluggage, um, Jared Berry, and a, you know one or two games from a, a couple of other draftees, but pretty much the same list. So you're going to have the same. Occasionally, you'll have the same problems with turning the ball over. But mm. I feel like they're defensively set up a little bit better. Um, they're certainly a lot more accountable. I think from what I've from the games I've watched live this year, defensively a lot more accountable. But it's just the the um, probably the continuing uh, errors with the ball. Um, I guess poor disposal that's killed Brisbane a lot this year. So yeah. I don't think there's going to be a um, a huge amount of wins in the second sort of two thirds of the season. But um, I think you should still expect. Um, you know, I guess more consistent footy um, as they get to know what Chris Fagan wants as every player gets gets to understand their role a bit better. I think something that's been different from the last few years, and Ollie, it's something we've talked about a lot, is those <clears throat> one-off quarters that they just absolutely blitz the opposition, yeah. like that one mm-hmm. against the Bulldogs, that first quarter against the Gold Coast. They had a pretty good one yeah. against Essendon from memory as well. Um, you just yeah, didn't third get... quarter, I think, yeah. Yeah, you just didn't get any of those signs... In 2016, it was sort of like you'd hang in a game for a quarter and then you just stop. So I think yep. that you can actually see some upside now. Like as you said, the results are pretty similar, but the goods actually pretty good. Yeah, and I also think the ability to uh, to hang in, and I know Chris Fagan has probably made a, a point once or twice about trying to stop runs of goals, but I think I mean last year there was multiple multiple games where. Brisbane just rolled over, yeah. um, you know, and lost by 80 or 100 points. And um, and we haven't, I mean, there's been one or two poor, the, the match against uh, Port was pretty poor. I thought they played poorly against Richmond as well. But generally yeah. speaking, the Sydney game a couple of weeks ago, I know Dan spoke about that on, on your show last week, but, I mean, that could have been, a, easily could have been a 100-point loss. Mm. And people can say, oh, the game was over at quarter time, but... Um, but it wasn't, and Brisbane showed that they they fought it out and were were reasonably level in the last three quarters. And I think that's that uh, fighting spirit is something we've seen a lot more of this year. Um, you can see what they're trying to do with the ball; they're trying to be aggressive. Um, the skills haven't quite caught up with the method at the moment, but mm. um, I think there's enough there to be to be positive about. Um, Ollie, have you got anything else? Yeah, just probably going on just those quarters here and there it, it works in our favor as well we've had those really good quarters against Essendon and Gold Coast and the Bulldogs but yeah what's letting us down is probably just that consistency and just those mm. really bad quarters here and there as well just mm. totally costing us like probably Port Adelaide that first quarter and a bit like we're blown away and the game was over but after that I thought we 
hung in there okay. Yeah, I thought Port and Sydney was a was... terrible loss in the end, but yeah, and the Sydney game as well, exactly right. They it's were pretty similar the first quarter. Yeah, you know what? With each passing week, it makes me realise how much we dropped the ball in that Essendon game. Like that was a real big oh, opportunity that we've just absolutely bundled. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was yeah, and you, and when you don't, and when you're a struggling team, you you don't get a lot of opportunities through the season, do you? Yeah. And you 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 want to cling cling to every win you can, every every win you can get. But yeah, um, I think you can see, like as you you boys have touched on some some of the positives there, and it's it's really hard to cling to that sometimes. I think when you're a when you're a fan, but there's there's a lot of you can see the path forward for Brisbane now. I think there's a yeah. There's certainly a unity within the group. You can see what they're trying to do with the ball, and I think you can see a lot more accountability and a lot more structure sort of defensively as well. So there's a path forward. Um, unfortunately, it's just going to take uh, take a fair amount of time, I think. I think, to Brisbane's credit, what they've done right about this rebuild, we've had a few rebuilds since 2003, but this one, I think they've started with the spine first, which mm. which is something we've been missing in previous years so if we can keep them together which is always a big if with brisbane yeah the future looks pretty good helps when a couple of your spines from queensland doesn't it yeah for sure and <laughs> sure another, does. another just, one coming just, in next year as well yeah exactly so um i know everyone's excited about connor ballenden but um just want to make a mention of harris andrews i know yeah on uh i can't believe his improvement this year like i always you know, like most people, seeing him the first couple of years, had high hopes for him and um, was really excited about his ability to intercept Mark and read the play. But his one-on-one defence this year has really surprised me. I mean, mm. he's yeah. taking the biggest forward every week and, um, you know, a lot of Jared Roughhead on the weekend. And um, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just so impressed with what he's done this season with his with his one-on-one defence and his ability to, to lead that young back line. Just an um, incredible improvement for a guy that's still only 20. It's pretty unfortunate that someone like Jack Frost hasn't kicked on like we would have wanted because then it would mm. sort of leave Harris a bit more open to be more of an interceptor rather than, you know, just the, the spoil first defender. Yeah. Which comes back to the point of losing Justin Clark was a real kick in the guts a few years ago. Yeah it, cer- yeah, it certainly was. I think you're right. Like, ideally, down the line, yeah, Harris Andrews will be, you know, like an Alex Rance or a Stephen May or someone that can um, possibly play on the second or even third if the um, if they can unearth a couple more defenders, the second or third best forward, and can mm. uh, run off and intercept Mark and and create because he's a he's um, Great intercept mark, and he's a pretty smart user with the ball as well. But at the moment, like he's just rounding out his game nicely to be able to defend first and then create. It's a pretty great combination for a kid that's so young. God help us where we'd be without Harris, but um, (laughs) thankfully we've got him. Um, Just one that popped into my head. We didn't actually uh, highlight this as a talking point, but um, Taylor Harris is obviously or wants to move on. Have you got any any take on that situation? Mike, and was that a surprise for you? Yeah, it was a big surprise for me, actually. <laughs> um, I suppose initially it certainly surprised me because I think the clubs, um, you know, looked after Taylor, and she was a big part of that first season um, of the AFLW. Like she was pretty much the face of the Lions for a lot of the season, and was a pretty instrumental player. Um, mm. She had a she had a job at the club. Um, in the, in the club's media and 
communications department there for a while. So I know she's really highly valued, but I think Taylor's obviously very marketable. Yeah, um, she's a pretty big name in the women's game. So I guess when I stood back and took a bit more of a look at it, I'm, I'm maybe not as shocked as I was initially that she might want to get to the to the centre of the, the the centre of the AFL world, if we can call it that. Yeah, the big city lights. Melbourne. <clears throat> yeah, the big city lights of Melbourne. So yeah. initially, I was shocked, but when I stood back and and thought about it, um, maybe not so much, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it would be disappointing for Brisbane to lose her. That's for sure, because she, yeah, she's an she's an exciting player, and she's mm. um, really really exciting to watch. It's quite frustrating with how the system's set up at the moment, because we're going to lose her, but there's not much we stand to gain. Because you you look at draft picks, and we sort of can only draft mm. Queensland players, and you know players aren't earning that much money in the AFLW, so they're not going to, you know, throw their hand up to move interstate. So, yeah, um, exactly. It's a, it's a really delicate um, balance for the AFLW at the moment, isn't it? Just mm. the way the competition's set up. And I think the first few years, it's going to be all about trying to create more depth in the playing ranks, which probably isn't quite there at the moment. So when you lose um, one of your marquee players, it's a massive hole to fill, that's for sure. Um, Ollie, was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap it up? Yeah, I think we've about covered it tonight. Yeah, it's been a longer longer one. So thanks for your patience with us, Mike. It's been great to grab your insight on all things Brisbane. Um, hopefully you've got some better footy to look forward to in the second half of the year. Haven't had too much great news to report on or watch <laughs> in your time reporting on Queensland footy, but hopefully you don't have to sit through too many more thumpings and thrashings. No, it'd be nice to cover oh. some winners, as I'm sure you guys would love to watch a few more winning, yeah. uh, winning performances, <laughs> wouldn't you? So, That's for sure. <laughs> Hopefully starting on Saturday night against Adelaide. <laughs> We're not too hopeful, but we like your optimism. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I guess uh, that's a good thing about footy. You never know, especially this season. This mm. season's been pretty crazy. I've, yeah. I've been a horrendous tipster this season. So it has been a hard one never to quite tip, know. Very, very difficult, but um, I'm sure the Crows will be pretty pretty desperate after their, their mm. uh, losing the past couple of weeks. But yeah, fingers crossed for a better, uh, yeah, fingers crossed for a better um, back half of the season for Brisbane anyway. Yeah, we're certainly hopeful. All right, well, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike.